Hi, my name's Luke Bache, and welcome to Movers, Shakers, and Social Changes. In this podcast, I speak to people who have had a profound impact on many people's lives, including my own. These are people who I consider pioneers in their respective fields and who I truly believe are stepping into this new story of interconnectivity, compassion, and presence. Welcome to today's episode in which I talk to Laurel Erica. It was an absolute pleasure and I'm still smiling days later. Laurel's the author of the book Word Magic and has spent her entire life investigating words, turning them inside out to see that they hold a lot of power, how they shape the world and how we see the world, how we see each other. And she is such an inspiration of how we can collectively, creatively, and rapidly take command of the English language and upgrade it to support our collective leap from humankind to human kindness. Thanks for listening. That if we think of words as musical notes, we can imagine ourselves to be their human instruments. Then we see how easily we can be played by the ideas embodied in words. And regardless of whether they are true or not, we serve as their arms, legs, and very vocal mouthpieces on the march to spread the messages that have captured our adherence. So thank you for joining. And the context which I must admit I've struggled with because I think your wisdom can we could go in so many directions. Oh, thank um, you. But the context I want to set is that we seem to be in a liminal moment collectively this kind of in-between space of maybe old stories and what is the new where are we going i think being kind of played out collectively and individually through a lot of people i'm seeing around me in my circles on that level and i've been diving into different kind of practices let's say meditation yoga and only somewhat recently have I really seen the importance of words and how they have the power to shape our reality and not only how we see the world, but how we see each other as humans. And in thinking about this conversation with you, I've actually had to grieve in in the ways I was raised and inverted commas educated to see people as good or bad and right and wrong and so on. So I'm wondering if in your journey you've had to grieve and how you also see words shape the world that we see and inhabit. Well, yes, and to a greater degree, than I ever have before. I was just reviewing a document I wrote through doing some research 
that enabled me to compare the orientation of Sanskrit and its evolution with that of English. And over the years, I've collected many stupendous quotations about the power of the word from authoritative sources and what happens when a language gets scrambled, which English so frequently is. And what I've had to grieve is the kind of upbringing I had that was so um, I wrote what I call my fairyography about an elemental being who goes through the looking glass into this dimension and has to deconstruct the language to find her way back home again. Mm. And um, in the middle of page one, it says, I was born in upside down town to the king and queen of backward land. <laughs> I spoke a foreign language, which they had to twist to understand. The king was sowing sorrow and the queen was reaping grief. I held my dreams, but lost my way, confused beyond belief. How ossified the king in patriarchal misconceptions and how brilliant was the queen in monumental self-deceptions. And I wish that I could say that they were singular exceptions, but they were the rule, as I know you'll confirm with your reflections. And um, in fact, I have a lovely quotation I found um, among the many I've collected. Um, let's find it. Um, it's from, I, I read a book years ago by Brian Bates, who was or is, um, as I recall, a PhD in maybe transpersonal psychology in England. And he wrote a book called The, um, the Way of Weird, W-Y-R-D, Tales of an Anglo-Saxon Sorcerer. And in the and he did it based on source material. He created a novel based on source material. And in the edition I had, there was a foreword by Fred Allen Wolf, a physicist, and he wrote, when the Christians came to power in Britain, anything heathen was automatically bad. Consequently, everything that had a strong meaning to the Anglo-Saxon was reversed 180 degrees. And when I read that, I thought, backward land. And he said, this reversal not only affected the people and their traditions, but also the English language we use today. So it is a very backward um, creating language. And since, as we see in the English, <clears throat> excuse me, the word creates the world. You just have to add the letter L, which in Hebrew is a sound that represents God. Mm. So the world comes from the word. A backward language means a backward world. And 
when I first met a beloved friend of mine, um, I met him online and over the phone. He's in British Columbia. I'm in Southern California. Um, he explained to me that Sanskrit has close to twice the number of letters in the alphabet as English. And my instant thought was that's how we ran smack into the mirror and got stuck there because our actions are 180 degrees opposed to our supposed values. So we kill for peace. We have the expression of dying for a good time. We covet wealth instead of health. So, oh, and, and I use that. I have a poem, a Christmas poem called Gifts of Presence that's on my YouTube channel. And I give those examples as well as sort of an overall picture of what we've created through a backward language. And in my book, Word Magic, Wordplay That Puts a New Spin on the World, which is available on my website, I have a poem called Ipsissima Verba, The Very Word, which looks at religious words and metaphor mm -hmm. and how completely backward they are. And um, I think the ultimate backward is dogma. I once was looking at it and I thought, what a weird word. I mean, a dogma is a bitch, uh, literally. And um, when you turn it around, it's am God. Mm -hmm. And when you realize that we are each the infinite, infinite form, you realize we ourselves have a direct pipeline to the divine and we do not need mediators and interpreters of supposedly holy writ to guide our way in the world. We have an inbuilt compass and that is the compass of compassion. It's in every person's high Heart. And as we recognize that we are all like uh, the cells of a single body, um, um, the, that body being the Mother Earth, then we see that ourselves are part of one great whole, all emanating from the same source. So we do unto each other, uh, we do unto ourselves what we do unto each other, and it cannot be otherwise. That's why service is serve us. That's why generosity has arrows right at the center of it. But <clears throat> misery is miser, followed by why? <laughs> In an infinite universe, <clears throat> would you would you be afraid to share from your heart and from your wealth when we are all one, like a single body? And if there are ailing cells, either our immune system disposes of them or brings them back into alignment with the totality. So we have been so 
<clears throat> atomized by absurd arguments that make us feel in opposition to each other. And that is what keeps us out of harmony with ourselves and all others, because again, we do unto others as we do unto ourselves. So I have <clears throat> spent a lot of time grieving the kind of upbringing I had in backward land by people who uh, they were intellectuals and they were artists. And uh, to borrow a line from the original, um, what was that called? Oh, they're reissuing it now. I can't remember the name of the film with uh, Glenn Close and Lauren and uh, Malcolm, whatever his name was. But the line is referring to some people, they, dangerous liaisons, mm. and, and Malkovich. She, uh, one of them said to the other, describing this family, they're intellectuals and like most intellectuals, incredibly stupid. So I've, I, I was born into a family of highly intellectual, um, extremely metaphysically, spiritually backward people. Mm -hmm. And that foreclosed many options in my life um, of what is considered to bring about the good things in life and, and a greater sense of well-being, but they're all, of course, external. So <clears throat> I closeted myself in my own pursuits of, of as I was sharing with someone recently, writing has been my insulin and my heroin. And to my surprise, they've made of me a bit of a heroine for some people in the world because I'm able, having grown up feeling very backward and ignorant and all sorts of terrible uh, things about myself, what I've discovered is a way of playing with words that reflects our innate genius to us, because that is, how can you be anything but that when you are um, a spark of the infinite in finite form. We get hypnotized into disbelieving our own genius um, our own capacity to bring through divine ideas that can make a positive impact in the world, but that never goes away. And wordplay that reflects us back to ourselves, both <clears throat> what I call secret spells that are just direct hypnosis and also sacred path words that do reflect our wisdom back to us. I mean, that's the source of my primary education. And, and the wisdom I have is just unlocking the secrets hidden in plain view in ordinary language. Yeah. And I mean, so much of what you said just um, stirred up a lot. I, of course, also embody this belief about us having this divinity that we all share. And also 
really feeling how this, as Marshall Rosenberg called it, this life alienating language feeds into the story of separation, right? That I am in competition with you um, in a supposedly finite realm um, where, it, where some people are just plain bad and therefore we can then throw, the, throw them in prison and throw away the key and others are good and the good can do whatever they want to the inverted commas, obviously bad. And so just throughout all this language and even not only does it, has it disconnected me from fellow human beings, as you said, regarding growing up in an intellectual family, it actually disconnected me from my body because I wasn't, it was so painful, I think, to have potentially been misunderstood I guess as a child of doing something wrong that I think all these different things and, and as you said growing up in backward land and the education uh, of basically disembodying I am again just amazed at how how I and I'm imagining other people feel that we just have to shut off from each other and from our bodies to actually kind of get through. And so a big part of this new story, I think, is both remembering, literally remembering our bodies, our innate wisdom and, and holding each other through that lens. And I'm also wondering how you envision that evolution through language. So currently we are in this paradigm which my jaw dropped to the floor when I read in your book about the current paradigm about we awake each morning. Um, when you broke that down, if you'd like to break that down now, because I think it's really <coughs> useful at uh, the kind of let's say the beat of the drum that most of us march to and I think that beat quite intentionally and I'm using a drum and a march as though we are an army of obedient workers um, we march like ants to the beat of the overlord drum yes <clears throat> just playing with that um before we spoke, ah, um, that if we think of words as musical notes, we can imagine ourselves to be their human instruments. Mm -hmm. Then we see how easily we can be played by the ideas embodied in words. And regardless of whether they are, are true or not, we serve as their arms, legs, and very vocal mouthpieces on the march to spread the messages that have captured our adherence. <clears throat> and to quote uh, a 20th century author, Arthur Kessler, he said, man's deadliest weapon is language. Mm -hmm. He is as susceptible to being hypnotized by slogans, which I refer to as slow guns, as he is to infectious diseases. And when there is an epidemic, the group mind takes over. Wow. 
So <clears throat> you referred to the video I posted in 2010. It's, um, I called it our, um, the secret spells of the uh, English language. It's something I put together in the 90s, but I had a big so what about it. <clears throat> I thought this is a great curiosity, but so what? So it goes this way. We awake each morning and go off during the weekdays to earn our living at various jobs and undertakings until we come to the weekend. And everyone agrees that that's the normal way of things. However, more people die between 6 and 10 a.m. Monday morning of heart failure than any other time of the week. And I heard Deepak Chopra say so, and I've checked with um, medical practitioners, and it seems to be true. So when you translate that life sentence, and I spell it T-R-A-N-C-E, translate, um, because it casts spells, we remember that awake is a party to celebrate the dead. Morning is the state we're in when we attend awake. We would <clears throat> have to be staggering around in a week days like a zombie to earn our living since urns are ashes for the dead. Or, excuse me, urns are vases for the ashes of the dead. We call our jobs undertakings. Job itself is a Hebrew word for persecuted. We're constantly rushing to meet deadlines. And what we get at the end of this perverse bargain with life is progressively weakened. <laughs> and I noticed that many British people pronounce 10 years a decade, <laughs> while in, I've heard it in the U.S. as a decade, not a decade, but decade <laughs> sounds more appropriate. And given the way things are going, it's very easy to see why life seems so futile, <clears throat> both F-U-T-I-L-E and F-E-U-D-A-L. So it's hopeless, pointless, and um, primitive in that it makes those without sufficient means um, the servants of those with greater means and often meanness. And there's a wonderful YouTube video by Rutger Bregman, a young Dutch historian, who says something like, and this may be the title, poverty is not a lack of character, it's a lack of cash. And he talks about what happens when there is a reliable um, regular income, which would not be nearly so costly as the repercussions of a totally dysfunctional society. And when you were talking about how divisive the language is, I, I have been intrigued by the fact that if we talk about the sound or the word apart, um, you and I are a part of a larger being. Um, or 
you and I, our views are apart from each other. So when you talk of a unity, you write it as two words, apart. When you talk about a separation, you write it as one word, A-P-P-A-R-T. So there's an odd dichotomy that is opposite of what one might anticipate. And the word opposite starts with opposites, O-P-P-O, and then sites. So the language is constantly echoing and reflecting us back to ourselves, only we have been conditioned for the most part in the West to be oblivious to the obvious, so that we ignore as unimportant that which is right before our eyes and ears. And coincidence is one of those words that um, <clears throat> defines something as a coincidence, but in the same uh, word, the connotation is it's insignificant. We don't have to look at what brought seemingly unrelated elements into the same time and space. We just call it a coincidence and dismiss it as insignificant. And yet it is quite worthy of our exploration. Beautiful. And and this is the, the thing, as you're speaking, my kind of awareness is expanding because I'm realizing the importance of each word and the reverberatory, if that is a word, effect. I'm going to claim that if it isn't. <laughs> well, I use it a lot. Reverb. Yeah, reverberatory. Um, Reverberation. Reverberatory. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the reverberatory effect that every single word has, that it kind of vibrates out into the the uh, collective consciousness. And I've been noticing a lot recently when I'm practicing nonviolent communication and reflecting back someone's words, and especially if someone's having a hard time and they ask, could you just tell me what you've heard? And when I reflect back correctly, it's like their song has been heard. And as I reflect back, it's like both of our bodies relax because my song matched the vibration of their song. So I'm really curious regarding regarding ways in which you foresee language evolving to set us free because of course one aspect is merely just the consciousness level right that if i'm more mindful i'm aware of the words that come out of my mouth and on the other hand when we have been indoctrinated to use certain words, they're kind of entrapping us almost beyond the conscious, if that makes sense. So if I say, oh, I have some tools to share with you, 
I would say tools is a word from the industrial revolution. And so even using that, it has a certain frequency to it. So then it's almost for me, not a catch 22, but I'm curious to know how you see both the consciousness aspect of it, but then how you see words setting us free when we're currently maybe indoctrinated to use certain words. Okay, so <clears throat> so going backward, um, it is so when someone reflects us back to ourselves, um, I believe, as you said, we relax and become more present. And I read years ago that only a very small percentage of our energy incarnates at any one time. And if you are not seen and you are not heard, certain elements just go missing, what I call AWOL, absent without leaving. And that's what shamanic soul retrieval is about. And the fact that our eyes face outward, I can see you, you can see me. We can't see ourselves without the use of a mirror. Mm. Um, I wrote this little short piece that goes, we birth each other into this dimension for everyone needs to be deeply seen to be fully presenced in the world. For the material plane is all smoke and mirrors, sounds and resonance, angels and angles, fire and flesh. So when you hear, and that's the major part of the word heart, when you are present and with your heart, you hear the words of another and you're able to <clears throat> repeat them, reflect them in a way that, that sounds their true singular note in the universe, it gives them greater permission to be. For me, just as I said in writing this most recent piece, I am more clear on how important it is that we are extremely precise with our language and inventive with it. Um, Sanskrit, the, the word Sanskritam evidently means the perfected language mm. and the belief is that it was a gift from the gods and it came at a time when most civilizations were in their barbaric infancy 
and it, it and it came with with so many rules that are called the six Vedangas for pronunciation and etymology and uh, grammar, so many things that keep it perfected. Whereas English, um, someone today could hardly understand Old English or Middle English. There's constant linguistic drift and intentional manipulation and truly degradation. I mean, it is stunning to me. Someone sent me a book, I think, I th I forget what it's called, The Ultimate Coach, but um, the foreword is written by an, a, a, an internationally known um, coach and minister. And she says something like, you know, can you imagine, you know, eating something so delicious you feel like peeing in your pants? And I thought, WTF, why bring in such basic uh, <laughs> body functions as a way of ennobling the work and the words of someone else. There is so much using of curse words that um, are laden with heavy, negative, often violent um, <clears throat> meaning. And why? when we can speak beauty. And speaking beauty is one of the pieces I wrote several years ago as an anthem for our era, to speak with beauty and with eloquence and elegance, which is possible for everyone who wishes to be attuned to true vibration and the high intention embodied within the word, which not only in the West, but in the East uh, and in um, indigenous and industrial cultures, they all say the word is akin to God. It is the ultimate creative force. So why use words that are packed with negative connotations and ugliness? So <clears throat> I was, as we are all magnets and our interests attract what we are interested in, I, I learned recently through something someone sent me that I think the, what is he, 5th century BC or 4th century BC, um, Greek general and historian Thucydides in writing about the war between Sparta and Athens said that the greatest horror of all was the corruption of the language. And one quote is, and I have longer quotes, but from him it says, in a society that falls into this confusion of language and morality, it is not that society cannot come about, but that the existing society collapses. The animalistic 
power struggle of man's libido is released as a result of this moral confusion and corruption of language. And about a hundred years before him, Confucius in China said that if given charge of the governance or the administration of a country, the first thing he would do would be to correct the language. For if what is said is not what is meant, then what needs to get done remains undone. Arts and morals go astray, justice is subverted, and people stand around in helpless confusion. And there is such intentional manipulation of language. And if you don't think this is backward land, just look at a ballot measure in which no means yes and yes means no. And, and you see, we are in, and I'm going to use one of those power-packed swear words, we are in, a, in an intense cultural mindfuck. Yeah. And the way out of the mind fuck is through awareness, through looking at words on the level of symbol and sound, turning them inside out and backward and discovering the hidden messages they're also carrying. That may be step one. It's a very engaging activity. And um, step two is to start inventing new words because English there I've discovered words that have fallen into obscurity that you won't even easily find if you Google it that bespeak our greater human possibility yet are totally lost in obscurity and one of my favorites <clears throat> that I like to cite is the word anamnesis, which means when I first saw it, it, it said, and, and, and I say when I first saw it, because these definitions can change all the time, even on Google, it's just a little slower in paper dictionaries, but it happens. Um, anamnesis means the soul's recollection of what it knew from a supposed prior lifetime. So if you knew from that one single word, hey, maybe I can access what I knew from my ancient incarnational history. Maybe I can draw upon this greater wisdom. It's like this bank account that I come with, that I can access, that enriches me and enriches the gifts that I give as I speak and write. And the second definition of anamnesis, which is probably the more current one, is a patient's recounting of their medical history. So if that isn't a downgrading into obscurity, I'm not sure what is. So if we think of ourselves as tuned instruments, and that is our daily practice, we brush our teeth, we shower, we do what it takes to prepare to be in the world. If we add the uh, hygiene of what we do with our consciousness, whether it is journaling and meditation, breath work and yoga, things that help us 
elevate our consciousness so that we're not operating on a, a gross animal level, allowing our appetites to run away with us, but are are cultivating a refinement of the essence of our being so that as <clears throat> I have a stanza in one of my poems, which is a vision in verse of, of what happens after we collectively upgrade the language. And, and the, the, um, it's about three pages long. So this is sort of at the bottom of page one. It says, um, let's set tongues wagging around the world with the possibility of sweetening up English as a true romance language. For if our words so melt the heart, they start the milk of human kindness flowing so that every time we speak our mind, we set another flower growing. Then mm. I believe before our very eyes, we human beings like butterflies will fully metamorphosize. And then it goes on from there. An abbreviated version of that is in that little poem, word a book of poems, word magic, word play that puts a new spin on the world available through my website. Yeah. So um, becoming creative with the language, inventing new words, and also through uh, my beautiful, divine, highly awake friend, um, Jeffrey Armstrong, who is from Detroit and received the award of the leading Indologist, researcher of Indian culture in 2021, an award from the government of India. Um, <clears throat> he is creating um, books that will introduce more Sanskrit words into English language vocabulary so that we have the words we need to conceptualize higher states of consciousness. Wow. So I think we need new English inventions as well as the ancient Sanskrit vibrations that connote those very qualities of being that all of us who do cultivate our consciousness are seeking to embody <laughs> as well as embrain. Wow, yeah, I mean, whew, I'm really, as you're speaking, I think because your language is so rich, it's almost like a visual experience. Um, I'm really seeing this quality of like letting old old words that have been forgotten somehow like floating in the ether and they're just waiting to be found again. And I feel it as like almost like a metaphorical experience of that the forest is only as strong as the weakest tree, that it's like those beings that are struggling in our society that might be floating around and forgotten about, how maybe they need someone to hold their hand as well so they can come back and sing their song back into existence. So that's very much alive in me after what you just shared. I'm so glad. What a beautiful vision. 
And, and once it came to me after doing some breath work <clears throat> that the roots of words are in the roots of trees, mm. wouldn't you know it? <laughs> so, <clears throat> and, and, and maybe you've heard the term, I think it's Shin Yin Roku or forest bathing. Yes, yes. And evidently it reduces um, depression as well as the generation of cancer cells. And if you look at the word forest, now this is an example of what I would call a sacred path word, forest. What is a forest for? Forest. A forest mm -hmm. is for rest. Again, it's for that relaxation into being. And if you want to see what nobility looks like, just stand at the foot of a tree and look up. Uh, for I mean, it's just such a, a joke that um, in, in England, where you're from, um, I've I've heard at least uh, you know of people jostling for a K, meaning a knighthood. They want to be a member of the nobility, and as I shared on the Aubrey podcast, the Aubrey Marcus podcast, to be noble. You have to have no bull. You have to be in total integrity. And then your words have resonance. And oh, there's a, a wonderful quote by Václav Havel, who was president of Czechoslovakia and um, who was part of the Velvet Revolution that overthrew the Communist Party. And he said, I really do inhabit a system in which words are capable of shaking the entire structure of government, where words can prove mightier than 10 military divisions. And certainly the, that is true, but it sure helps if you have are speaking with a highly evolved language where the vibrations resonate with that which they name which Sanskrit certainly qualifies as and English through our collective creative upgrade could become and it's interesting when you say that quote because I'm thinking of the last I'm sure it's been going on longer but I, I I believe a lot of things are caricaturing themselves in their kind of final death throes. And just the last few years with the censorship, it's like the beast, whatever we want to call it, the corporate beast is trying to control language now. It's tried to control every aspect and it's in its dying death throes. It's gone to language and censorship. And I, Again, you talking about investigating words to look at their history, look at them backwards and forwards, for me, is again an important step for us to move on because I do think we need to investigate everything right now, not only the educational system, the political system, everything, but as you're doing, the language system. And what a wonderful way to to investigate a word by spinning it backwards. And like you said, if we're in a backwards land and a backwards world, then the importance of looking at the words back to forth, for me, gives some sort of revelatory experience. Um, 
I'm also curious what what did you call forest? It was a a sacred well, path word. Oh yes, those are uh, that's I, I refer to secret spells of the English language and sacred path words, which are the words that reflect our innate wisdom back to us. Mm. So the only two that were widely known before I posted, um, started sharing my work are um, dis-ease, the relationship of stress to illness, and history or his story, that it's not an accurate telling of events. It is the victor's propagandistic, self-aggrandizing recounting of events. And there is so much revisionist history going on. There was not long ago a controversy in the U.S. for some textbook company referring to um, slaves imported from Africa as being unwilling immigrants. Yikes. Yeah. So it's like trying to pretend what is is not what is yeah. what is. Yeah. Yeah. As that, if we can, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, and that that again for me shines the importance of this work. Because it's a reclaiming of power, ultimately, isn't it? By reclaiming the language that is trying to be claimed and used for control purposes, I think. If we reclaim the language, we're reclaiming our power. And especially if you match it with consciousness, then it's a conscious reclaiming of power and like you said it's a it's an embodying of the instrument that we are and the music that we want to create by by um by these words these new words or having a conscious awareness of the words that we're using right yes well and and destiny um and density are the same word so if if we're operating at a level of great density, then that determines our destiny. Mm. If we're operating at a higher vibration, then that directs the course of our lives um, on a, a higher plane of existence. So one of the things that we can all uplift is our way of imagining ourselves. And I once looked at the word enigma and I thought, what a weird word. And then I turned it around and I thought, oh my goodness, it's almost the beginning of imagine. It's almost perfectly. There's just a letter or so at the end that you have to add. And it takes imagination to solve or dissolve an enigma. And in Imagine, there's I'm a genie. And if we are speaking the world's dominant language, which has colonized consciousness on the planet, then we can take the language in our own hands. It is software 
and it is the leading software of the Western mind. It contains viruses, thought viruses, akin to computer viruses that derive from a manipulated, antiquated vision of reality promulgated by the church as an instrument of mind control at a time when people had to surrender their minds if they wanted to keep their heads about them, quite literally. So if we elect collectively to upgrade the English language to a higher frequency through our linguistic creativity and naturally occurring verbal eccentricities, then ultimately, even clatter from our idle chatter, prattle patter, blabber blather and palaver as we jabber gab in Babylon, will turn our glowing terms from verbal vapor either hanging in the air or trapped on paper, into tiny bits of shiny matter as we gather, chat, and natter on, and with new skill at trilling, thrilling statements that instill fulfilling imagery of higher possibilities, will finally still the quiet riot of the wild child's manic panic through the mind, so we can flip the switch in lightning every circuit of our consciousness with the electric surge of verbiage that encourages superb and selfless services to spread from soul to soul by what is said around the world in all the light years up ahead. And then from the <laughs> islands of silence between all that's spoken, we will listen as doors to the heartland spring open. Mm. <laughs> oh, magical, magical, really. I have Thank so you. much uh, joy bursting through my whole body. Thank oh you so my gosh, much. that thrills me to hear. Thank oh, you. Thank you so much. I mean, I could talk to you forever, Laurel, but I, I do think that is just the most perfect place um, to finish because there is joy erupting through every cell in my being. I am thrilled to hear it. Mm. Thank you, Luke. That's, that's the whole point of it all, to just set each other's hearts ablaze with beauty and love and resonant reflections of the divine being we behold before us that we meet with our own dignity of divinity as best we can and as often as possible. And remembering that joy is contagious. Yes. Yeah. Joy is contagious. Yeah. It is. And a smile has mile in it. We have no idea how far our smiles, a look across the aisles, just a gaze into someone else's eyes and one that lights up our heart and our smile reflects it. There's no knowing the repercussions of that, but it has to be positive and reverberant for quite some distance. Thanks very much for listening. If this episode moved you in, 
anyway and you'd like to share or if you'd like to request a guest that has deeply inspired you then i'd love to hear from you at movers and shakers pod at gmail.com this episode and the lovely music um, was produced and edited by ivan lupaka who you can also follow at ivan the dj on instagram and social media thanks take care